Hello and welcome back to another Bond Marathon episode on the Auto Archives podcast. On this episode, we discuss Sean Connery's fifth outing as 007 in You Only Live Twice. During the height of the Cold War, Bond is sent on a mission to Japan, where he gets caught up in air-to-air combat with his latest gadget, teams up alongside ninjas, is weirdly made to look Japanese, and is finally confronted with his nemesis, Blofeld, in his volcano lair. If you haven't already, make sure to check out the previous Bond Marathon episodes to get up to speed. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Hello, Tom. How are we doing? Hi, Jack. Yes, very good. Thank you. Good. So good. Yeah, no, I'm fine. Thank you. So today is our fifth episode and we're going to talk about Sean Connery's fifth outing as 007 in You Only Live Twice. Now, before we start, this is one I have only seen once. Um, so this was quite a good okay. one to go back and see twice um, to remember if it, if it was anything like I remembered it. Um, is this one, I know we spoke about it on pretty much the other films we've, we've talked about. Is this one you fondly remember? Is this one you, you don't remember at all? Um, it's probably the um, it's probably the Bond that, as a kid, I watched the most and remembered the most of. And, yeah, of all the, of all the older era Bonds, it's definitely the one that I've, I've seen and remembered the most. Um, so I was quite, I was quite sceptical mm. going back and watching it again after so long, having such fond memories of it. But um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. So that's good. So um, I'll go into a quick summary of what kind of the plot and what it's about. So uh, a mysterious spacecraft captures Russian and American space capsules and brings the two superpowers to the brink of war. James Bond is investigates the case in Japan and comes face to face with his arch enemy Blofeld. So up until this point, we've never actually seen um, Blofeld. He's very much been the, the puppet master. Um, so finally we get to, I guess, see him and Bond meet, but we'll obviously come to that uh, in a moment. So I think the title sequence I'm, I'm referring to my notes here is one of the, um, more memorable title sequences i think so firstly you have that whole um the scene in space which i thought it does it does look quite da- uh, dated now <laughs> and you can clearly see it's just a man on the string like floating in space um but all i could think of is they obviously have this scene where they're in these two astronauts are in this i don't know it's like a space shuttle thing isn't it a pod thing isn't it yeah yeah and um Obviously, in the vast openness of space, you can pretty much see anything that's coming towards you. <laughs> Yet they are unaware of this space shuttle. This bigger space shuttle is suddenly behind them and is swallowing up their own space shuttle, like kind of like hungry hippos. Um, yeah, really, really thought... smoothly as well. <laughs> so, really, what's it? 
it's really slow as well yeah. <laughs> like very very slowly taking them by surprise yeah. and then swallows just... them up really slowly as well it did make me laugh because the guy on the radar going yeah there's something approaching you and they're like yeah can't see anything i'm sure like there's no there's no like obstruction in space you pretty much know something was going up to you um, which i thought was funny um and then we pretty much on the back of that i made a note there's a line where they say our our um our guy is working on it and then it cuts to sean connery just necking some lass in bed and i was like <laughs> there, there he is there's the there's the guy um and yeah this was always one of the um bond intros this scene particularly is one that stood out because obviously what happens is he's in bed he's the chinese girl that he's with gets out of bed presses a button bed goes up folds up against the wall and then two sort of um henchmen come in machine gun the whole bed and the bed comes down and, and bonds what looks like is dead and you think yeah. okay i remember as a kid thinking he's dead already and we haven't even gone to the top <laughs> yeah the um the the vhs that i had of this as a kid didn't have the pre um title scene scene so oh, i've really? never seen yeah so I, i'd watched this film i must have i probably wore it out um i must have watched it 20 times yeah. but yeah and until quite recently i hadn't actually seen that you know the spaceship get swallowed and, and bond mm. getting shot and everything <laughs> it was much much later that i actually saw it um, the thing is, yeah, I think the um, I think given the given its dues, I think the title sequence does that is quite suspenseful because it is so slow, and it is just just imagine these two guys in this little pod floating around in space, how kind of alone they must feel, and how terrifying it would be for this thing to come and swallow them, and yeah. one of them, you know, his line gets chopped and he's just floating yeah. off into space. You kind of think shit that's pretty brutal in a very slow <laughs> yeah. in a very slow way just literally getting lost in space um yeah yeah definitely that bit was a bit more harrowing compared to some of the other yeah. uh, intros where it's very much bond bond has you know goldfinger and thunderball bond kind of gets away and does a successful job whereas here it's kind of the opposite and it's a bit more of a somber start um yeah. and then we go into the theme tune which for me and I know we did the Bond themes and uh, Max, who did it, I did it with, put this as his number one. And I think it's a fair shout. It's definitely one of the better Bond yeah, themes, I think. Um, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely up there for me. It's a, yeah, I love, I love the theme. I think it's, it's so classic Bond. It's just, yeah, I think it's brilliant. Yeah, definitely. And I think, yeah, it's one of the more, I think, renowned, well-known Bond themes, even for people who are, perhaps aren't fans of the franchise they was you know normally think of this theme as one that stands out head and shoulders above the rest um so <laughs> the scenes after this i like i don't know if it's just me or if you find this as well but i i did find this quite funny so so as the viewer we're led to believe that bond's now dead um we see him dead after getting shot in in um, in the bed um, and then cuts to him sort of being buried at sea. And obviously, the viewer, we're like, well, the film's just started, he can't be dead, obviously. Um, and then what happens is they bury him at sea. Um, 
and I I picked up on this this time round, but it's clearly not a real body because it's like it's so sort of squared off. And as the body is like it cuts underwater and the body's sort of slowly sinking, it's it hit it hits and lands on a rock. <laughs> and then two scuba divers come and pick the body up and think, okay, where what's happening here? Um and then they take the body into a submarine. And as the body is still um, submerged in water, it's being carried down and hit, it hits its head on the ladder steps as well. <laughs> and then what it turns out is that Bond is alive. He's got a breathing apparatus in and he takes out and he goes, permission to come aboard, sir. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I love that. I love that part. That's a, it's such a great line. It's so Bond, isn't it? It's so like <laughs> just all of that going on. And imagine... I imagine that actually realistically thinking about that of like being yeah. incarcerated and then effectively relying that they're gonna <laughs> pick you back up again. Yeah. Um and then yeah, he just unzips him and he's like, request permission to come aboard, sir. And then he's straight up and you know, he's all but he's got all like a per- out his, Yeah, he's got <laughs> perfectly ironed out like yeah. suit, like a, a military suit on, and then just carries on his mission, carries on his day. Even yeah. though it's like it just felt very cartoony, where he had this clearly not a person in a in a body case, and they were kind of his head just kept getting hit on different places, and then it just wakes up normal. I thought it was uh, I thought it was funny. Um, so yeah, basically the steer on this is that um, British government believe that there's a, um, a a lead in Japan which is based on the the space um, sort of attack um, that happened at the start of this. So they believe that they, so they send Bond to Japan to kind of look into it in a bit more detail and meets um, Mr. Henderson. Now it's quite funny. So I remember probably a bit of a spoiler for the next upcoming films, but it it was weird to watch it again because the the actor that plays Mr. Henderson plays Blofeld in Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah. Which is um, I kind of forgotten about until watching this again, which is kind of um, yeah, it's kind of weird. They could have chose any actor rather than one that's already appeared in the, in the franchise. But um, yeah, <laughs> it's a bit of a weird choice. But we'll I guess we'll cover that on on that episode. But um, essentially, um, Bond gets then gets caught up in um, in an attack. Mister Henderson gets st- stabbed through one of those sort of Japanese slide walls. And he chases after him and basically, I notice he's got one of the COVID masks on. The guy who attacks him has got a COVID mask on, which I thought, oh, that's very fitting. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of his disguise to kind of work his way into the um, the uh, enemy's sort of base um, and gets his way into that. Um, eventually, when we get there, he has this massive fight with one of the henchmen there, which um, I didn't realise is the Rock's granddad as in Dwayne Johnson. Really? Yeah. So he's um, supposed to be Japanese in this, apparently. Yeah. Big um, wrestler guy. <laughs> exa- yeah, exactly. Um, what did you think of that fight scene um, compared to some of the ones we've watched so far up until this time? I thought it was, I thought it was pretty good, to be honest. I think he, yeah. Bond gets chucked about, doesn't he? And he... Um, Massively. Yeah, he's he's an absolute unit. And yeah, the Rock's granddad is going to be, isn't he? Um, yeah. But yeah, just absolutely just 
chucks him around. Bond pretty much gets lucky by just finding a heavy object to smash over his head. Um, but I quite I quite like the whole the whole lead up to that scene. I think um, Bond it, it shows him in kind of a a very ballsy character, a very kind of risk taking Bond mm. that that I guess that that character is and becomes even more so in later later films. Um, very risk taking just to go. If I put his shoes on and this mask, then I'll just get taken into the headquarters of this. Mm. <laughs> You know the baddie, um, and then yeah, it's this massive, massive punch up with this huge sumo wrestler who just absolutely lobs him around the room. <laughs> yeah, definitely. He, he's, he's, I think, compared to some of the other films, a bit more daring, sort of going like you said into the lion's den without yeah. really thinking. He's just thinking on his feet because obviously that's just something that happens, and he just sort of runs with it. Um, but yeah, I thought that that fight scene is so brutal. There's a there's even a scene where he pick, Bond picks up a whole sofa and he's like jamming it into into the rocks. Grand <laughs> just and eventually knocks him over, which I thought was um, it's yeah. I suppose he got to use what's about, and in that case, it was just a whole entire sofa. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I, I've made notes and kind of jumping through the plot really and just things that stood out so he eventually meets Tanaka which is kind of his um, meet up in Japan um, to kind of help and assist him with the with the the project he's been sent on um, yeah I like I like that um, I like that scene the lead up to to Tanaka kind of getting Bond into his um, into his office basically mm. they just sort of yeah, he uses a woman to lure him in and he chases her. And then that that scene with the false floor, it drops away and he slides down and he lands like straight in the seat. And <laughs> Connery's face, he looks like genuinely pissed off. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. He just kind of looks up and he's like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I thought the same. I made that same note where he's just like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> yeah. Um but yeah, it's, it's kind of that I felt like certainly here, it seems to be the running thing that feels like that happens in some of the Bond films where it's like, oh, I didn't know how else to get you here, Bond. So he goes through an elaborate um, way to actually meet up with his um, correspondent. Um, yeah, so they kind of they meet up and he uh, shows Tanaka shows his kind of his headquarters as well, where he's got all these ninjas and um you know samurai swordsman and all this stuff which is very up until that point i was i was gonna say anti-bond but not fitting of what bond is about where he's very um you know uh charming and gun orientated where this is more yeah. sort of you know, physical weapons um what did you think of that sort of setup and that comparison to the other bond films where they haven't sort of had that setting i like it i think it's um it's a deviation from kind of a kind of the norm um, from the previous films. It's something. It's something a bit different. It adds. It definitely adds yeah. something more. I like. I like the whole Japanese setting in this film. I think. Um, I, I really like Japanese culture anyway, and so anything mm. Japanese is kind of yeah. I enjoy it, but I think it. I do think it works really well, and I like the. Um, I like how it shows the mix of the Japanese sort of traditional ancient stuff with also a lot of modern tech and and things they have and it sort of um shows up mi6 a bit when he's like mm. 
um, oh, your M must have one of these when he's, took, he's got his own train to travel around. Um, like oh, Tokyo, yeah. whatever. He's got his own train. He's like, oh, your M must have one of these. And he was, Bond's like, huh, yeah, of course. <laughs> 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 yeah, not quite. Um, I remember that See, I think we might have jumped ahead a bit, but um, they they do their own... Actually, we'll, cover, we'll come to gadgets and stuff in a moment. Um, I made a note of one scene where um, <laughs> Tanaka's kind of like, he takes him to like a bathing house and there's all of these <laughs> girls that are just like swooning around him. And Tanaka's like, now you will have a bath, Mr. Bond. <laughs> this is possibly my favourite line in the film. Mr. Yeah, uh, mine Mr. Too. Bond. Yeah, Bond looks around all the girls and then comes back and goes, well, I like the plumbing. <laughs> <laughs> so good. <laughs> it's like, what are you saying? <laughs> oh, it's absolutely got me. I completely forgot that one. Yeah, um, I love. It. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely. It's, it must be the best. The best line in the film. It's so good. <laughs> and like you could tell, Sean Connery was just couldn't wait to get that line out as well because you could see yeah. the kind of smirk on his face. It's just <laughs> classic. Um, so there is a car chase in this one, which um, yeah, it was one of the. I've I've made a. There's actually a foot chase as well, which I thought was quite good. I'll, we'll come on to that in a minute, but. I thought the car chase wasn't too bad as well. They had the, there's another thing I remembered is the whole um, magnet. So they have this helicopter yeah. in the chase and as they're trying to get away, this helicopter's carrying this big, massive magnet that get, then gets placed over the chasing car, picks it up and then just drops it in the sea, which I thought was quite a, a different take on how to end a, a car chase at least. And I certainly don't think I've even seen that since. Um, as a way to just kind of eliminate the enemy was just to pick up the whole vehicle and then just dump it in the sea. Yeah, um, I do. I think, yeah, I think that's, that's one of the, um, one of the, one of those standout moments of a Bond film. I think you, that, that kind of lifting the car up and chucking it in the sea or it is, it is for me anyway, it's always one of those scenes that I always remember of, of a Bond film. And I yeah, think definitely. it's quite a cool, um, because the car chase, the car chase is pretty good actually. And yeah, it's, he's not actually driving is he it's aki the the japanese girl that um kind of one of the bond girls in this um and the car's pretty cool i think i think at the time that sort of exotic japanese sports car would have been quite unknown in the uk and um and pretty cool but yeah i liked it i thought it's good good definitely and um there's quite a good uh foot chase so they go to this um it's like the docks i think and they believe one of the ships there is kind of linked into the whole um, mission that he's been sent on and kind of gets chased by the dockmen that have clearly noticed that he's not there for tourist reasons and essentially chase him. And they have this massive like rooftop shot of him sort of um, running away from about what a 20, 20 people's worth. Yeah. Um, and he's just kind of dodging them. Um, which he holds his own. And this is the this is quite a funny bit, really. So he, he holds his own for most of it and then eventually just does some front flips and just lands on these, like, you know, jumps down two floors, just does two front flips, lands on, on his back, gets up, and then just one guy just knocks him out with one <laughs> yeah. blow after all of that. And I was just like, yeah, oh. It's just one, one whack in the back of the head. And then, <laughs> yeah, he's down. I think there's, there's a really funny... Um, scene right at the beginning of when they kind of get 
get found out in the yard. And this he, the guy in a forklift truck tries tries to like run them over, and you just see in the background because they just sort of jump out of the way. But the driver he just crashes this truck into a load of stuff, and then you just see him in the background just sat in the truck like chilling out. <laughs> <laughs> what? what? I never noticed that. What? Yeah, as, just, as everything else is carrying on, he's just still sat in the forklift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The forklift just crashes into the wall, and the driver just sits there, just waiting for <laughs> to be out of out of shot. That's so brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, I love that. Um, you, you, um, this is the scene where you you find out that Brand Brant is it the um, number eleven is is working for Spectre, the kind of the second female in the in the film. Oh, uh, yeah. Is this when they go in the plane? Yeah. So or after he gets he gets taken, doesn't he? At that at that point, and then he wakes up and she's there. That's it. Yeah. Uh, so they have this kind of scene where it's with the um, the redhead, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. They have this scene where yeah he wakes up and he's essentially been caught by the enemy and. Well, I thought was was quite a, a good standout scene, in the sense that um, you feel as the viewer that that Bond manages to use his charm again to win over the Bond girl in this sense, um, and and eventually wins her over and, and uses her as kind of he uses his charm to convince her that, that the British government can look after her basically and get her out of this situation. So he takes her, she takes him up in a plane, flies the plane. <laughs> and then, um, I thought it was quite a good bit that he's just a basically what a two man plane. Yeah, Bond sat in the back, and he Bond's like, yeah, so yeah, don't worry, we'll 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 look after you, we'll sort you out. And then <laughs> the woman just presses this button where a plank of wood just stop, just goes across his arm, so he can't like move in his seat. And then she just parachutes out. Yeah, she just, just thought out. was like, and I'd forgotten about this completely. I was like, oh shit. Oh shit! He's just <laughs> literally left him in there in, in a falling plane. Um, yeah, it's quite a good sort of. Although it's a short scene, it's quite a tense scene where he's obviously trying to get out of this situation. Um, he manages to get um, one arm free, and then karate chops the wood <laughs> yeah. just to That's get out. Just... I've written that down that he judo chops the. <laughs> yeah. It's like judo chop, and then he's yeah. Yeah, it's just so it flies off, and she just looks at the plane like flying off. She's like, ah, shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. She parachutes off, lands to safety, and realizes the plane is absolutely fine. Um, yeah. But yeah, I thought that was just enough. It's just an extra judo chop to make sure he gets out of there. Um, the next point I've put on is about the gadgets. So, um, and Q turning up in this. So, what are your thoughts on gadgets in this? I've I've always wanted a flat pack helicopter <laughs> that just turns up <laughs> in like four awesome. suitcases. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, so I guess that's that's the main the main gadget, isn't it? Is is little Nelly. Um, yeah. And I, yeah, I think I've I've just always I've always thought of that that gadget as a as one of the great Bond like things because it is effectively a toy helicopter. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. But he does so much. Um, there's so much damage and cool stuff in it, and it's got guns and yeah, yeah, cool. It's almost <laughs> like what the DB5 did in Goldfinger, but for for a kind of a one man helicopter. Like yeah, yeah, it's just this 
small sort of gyrocopter called Little Nelly that has rockets and smokescreen and all this stuff that kind of the DB5 Aston Martin did. Um, <clears throat> but it kind of, it, it, yeah, so it, we have that scene where he bonds. It's almost like he references it that he, he's used it before. Um, which was quite a good one because normally he's kind of learning the gadgets yeah. for that particular mission, but he's specifically asked for this gadget as part of this mission. Um, so he's kind of comfortable with what, you know, using it, um, for example. But yeah, I thought the whole sort of air to air combat scene was quite good. Um, and even for its time, is shot quite well because it's cut between like them actually flying it as in live and then cuts to Sean Connery sort of a, from an acting perspective is kind of put on the fake screen in the background but it's less noticeable i think compared to some of the other films uh, in the franchise yeah, up so. to this point yeah i think so as well. i think it's a really good um it's a really strong scene for the film i like it it's um it's quite action-packed it's not it doesn't get boring like some of the some of the longer scenes in in other films um and yeah i think it's, it is well shot and it's kind of yeah massive shootout with a bunch of helicopters is pretty cool and I, I love the way it begins as well where you just see the the kind of silhouette or you know the shadow of of his little helicopter on against the um, mountains and then like you're like oh shit it's like five other guys after him and then he just <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, thought that was, I thought that was yeah i thought it was quite a nice cinematic touch even just for a bond film yeah um, yeah, yeah a different way of showing you know the enemy turning up basically um I made a note about some of the other gadgets that, um, so as well, I was referencing earlier, that Tanaka shows in his base. Um, I don't know if you made a note of this. So they, they have that whole scene where they meet up with the ninjas and kind of his army of, of um, the people that work under him. And they, he, they kind of have their own Q branch. Um, and they have, I've made a note of the um, cigarette baby rocket is what they call yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> Which... Um, Again, if they show you a gadget, it means he's going to use it in the film. At some point. <laughs> but I just love the idea of just lighting this cigarette and then literally about, what is it, five seconds later, he aims it and it just blows up this whole doll, um, which I thought was good. Um, yeah, I really like that. Um, yeah, I think it's the whole ninja training school bit is just, it's just so cool with just these loads of mm. loads of blokes just getting trained to be absolute like ninja warriors. That's really cool, and I love yeah, I love that kind of their version of the Q branch and showing all that. I think it's a really cool touch. I thought it was um, there's a good scene as well where they're trying to get Bonds trained up as well. I think this might be later on in the film, but um, they he has like uh, what is it? I can't remember what weapon it is. I think it's like a spear, and they're kind of like jet pretending to fight, sort of, and then. Um, it turns out that one of them is actually uh, an assassin that's that's infiltrated it, and um, it becomes like it looks like he's actually trying to kill Bond, and they, yeah. so it escalates very quickly, and then Bond just obviously, and he's all dressed up in those like judo sort of outfit as well, manages to dispatch him that way. Um, yeah. One thing I haven't mentioned about is the um, Bond girl in this, Aki. Um, what are your thoughts on? her as a bongo compared to perhaps some of the other ones or just in general in this film do you feel like her character is uh useful or or one of the more sort of less involved less impressive bongos i think she's a i think she's a really good character i think you 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 don't really know 
at the beginning of the film, you don't really know whether she's on Bond's side or not. And she plays that mm. part really well and kind of lures him in, in that, in that classic way. Um, yeah. And then turns out to, to be quite a, quite a force to be reckoned with herself. And, um, and there's obviously the, the love interest between the two of them as well. I think she's a, I think she's a good character. And I also like the, the ginger girl as well. I think she plays a really good part. Um, brand whatever she's called um number 11 she i think she plays a a strong part yeah. in the in the film she's she's that classic kind of again that sort of pussy galore character of, um on mm. the other team on the other team very smart like outwit yeah. bond um yeah i think the the female characters are really good in this in this film definitely yeah i'd agree with that um so i want to get on to possibly the funniest moment in this and certainly a moment that you couldn't replicate in today's cinema no. um so for some con for context for people listening um bond has to infiltrate a japanese fishing village so they feel the <laughs> the best way for him to do this is to make him japanese <laughs> and apparently in, in in this film to make him japanese they give him a whole new hairstyle shave his chest hair and shaves his <laughs> change his eyebrows um and apparently that's enough um, yeah to to convince people that he's japanese even though he still has the thickest of <laughs> scottish accents um so i made the point of so aki like you said is the bongo all up until this point and there's kind of a it's not really a montage scene, but it's implied that off off camera he's turned Japanese, <laughs> and then we cut back to him and he's got the full Japanese sort of get up and he's got this new haircut and straight away you just think, sorry, I'm not convinced of this, and then I think he says something in Japanese, but I could not give a toss about inflection or the accent whatsoever, and it's just like. Domorigato. <laughs> it's just like it's just ridiculous. But again, like it's very much of its time. Like, like I said, you could no way get away with doing that now. I think you kind of have to look at this tongue in cheek. How they got away with it, I don't know. But um yeah. I mean, what did you what did you think watching that back? <laughs> yeah, I think um I didn't realise how bizarre it was <laughs> as a kid. And no. And I don't really think it's overly necessary. It seems like they spend weeks and weeks turning him Japanese and training him to be a ninja and stuff just to infiltrate a fishing village that they probably could have just bribed them or just yeah. wandered through. I don't <laughs> I don't really get it was obviously just an idea that someone had and thought, yeah, let's do that. And then <laughs> never really He, he doesn't really change did. enough. He no. doesn't change his appearance enough to be like, yeah, he's Japanese now. I remember he's he watching it as a kid. He's just like, I'm sorry, I'm not convinced in this. Yeah. But he doesn't trick anyone with it either, does he? <laughs> no. He just doesn't. Yeah. He turns up to the fisherman, dressed up as a fisherman with one of those straw hats, those big sort of circular hats, and, and yeah. just gets on the beach and just walks off. And then you know, one really, <laughs> it's just, it's just so strange. But for yeah. some reason, the feel it works. I think, I think if it wasn't Connery, you know, with the sort of twinkle in his eye, um, <laughs> it wouldn't have worked so well. But for somehow he seems to get away with it. I don't know how. Um, yeah, so um, I made a point of that scene. 
And then actually just around that point, that's when kind of a bit of a shock, really, that Aki gets killed off. Yeah. Um, so just after he's been turned Japanese. Um, I, actually, I thought this was quite an inventive sort of death scene where an ninja infiltrates sort of where Bond is sleeping with Aki. And he uses this, what, what, what would you say? Is It's kind of like a thin wire or like almost cotton. like, yeah, like yeah. cotton or, or silk that he sort of dangles down over their mouths and then drips poison onto it. So it drips along that th- sort of line of thread or whatever that is. Straight in, It's intended for, for James Bond, but they turn over in bed and it goes into Aki's mouth um, and kills her, which uh, even watching this back, I was like, I don't remember her getting killed off. Um, so it's quite a, a shocking sort of thing to be even just before the third act of the, the film where sort of the big climax, the, the Bond girl up until this point is, is, has been killed off. Um, what did you think of that? Did you think that was as shocking as, as that? Or Yeah, I think, um, yeah, because she, she's quite an integral character. And and yeah, I, I, it's, the, it's the classic thing of the Bond, the, the girl dies instead of Bond. It's like always that human shield that's, <laughs> that there's got to be in the film. Um, but yeah, I don't. I don't think I remember. I remember that scene of of using the cotton thread with the poison. I thought I always remember that being being a really clever mm. assassin trick. Um, but yeah, I think he's he's genuinely kind of a bit gutted, isn't he? Um, yeah. But he does seem he doesn't seem overly bothered for that long. He just sort of and they wander off and just kind of leave her body there and go and like crack on with with <laughs> with the job. But I think there is definitely a hint of sort of. Bond's character changes a bit and there's a hint of revenge in him as well. It's kind yeah. of before it's sort of that that fun, he's he's more interested in the booze and the birds, um, and kind of saving the world is the secondary thing. Um, but he's kind of got a bit of a reinvigorated desire to get him because of the, you know, they've killed his his current mistress. Yeah. <laughs> but I suppose with with classic Bond, it doesn't last long because he then gets married off. Because apparently you have to do that as part of this mission. <laughs> he has to get married to, um, to be a convincing fisherman. Um, yeah. Again, just go along with it. But I, one of these, it was another scene that I thought was hilarious because Tanaka's basically like, yeah, you're going to have to marry this woman. And Bond's like, oh, you know, is she right? And he's like, nah, she's got a face of a pig. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's funny. So you get this scene where they, they slowly these women are coming up the stairs and you don't necessarily know at this point who the wife is. And this old woman sort of steps up and Bond looks at her like, oh, he like double takes and goes, <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. Um, but then it turns out it's not her, it's this other uh, Chinese woman, younger woman behind her. And he's like, oh, okay, maybe not as uh, not, not as bad as, as he made out to be. Um, and then we kind of go into sort of the last sort of third act of this film where... Um, it's kind of the the big finale um and i still think this is probably one of the best set pieces from any of the bond films so um obviously so what turns out to be uh, basically throughout the film they're trying to locate where these stolen space shuttles are being taken to um and obviously as bond has done the sort of Recky using little Nelly that he's, he's figured out that actually one of the volcanoes isn't a volcano 
it's actually a base so the water that looks like that's um that's within the volcano itself is actually a, a retractable um sort of like i don't know what you what you'd call it sort of like a retractable roof that actually yeah. the space shuttles are now landing through and it's actually an underground um volcanic lair which saying that out loud just screams austin power straight away <laughs> i mean yeah. that's something they fundamentally just use as a running gag throughout those things that so more and more ridiculous like lairs um that the villains have um um and I, I was interesting to see sort of on the um, behind the scenes footage is that most of that um scene when they're actually inside that set has actually been built that size which i thought it's quite big, so oh, right. it's massive, huge, isn't it? Yeah, it's absolutely huge. So you can tell there's obviously a lot of money's gone into this, but a lot of effort has gone into creating probably the biggest set that they've done up until that point. Um, what did you think of sort of the overall setup of that? As you know, as an idea, you know, the fifth Bond film in now as this kind of volcanic lair, and obviously we're leading up to Blofeld. Does that kind of match up to the magnitude of you know meeting up with Bonds? The arch nemesis and having the 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 base the villain's base to kind of reflect that yeah i think i i, I really like it the the overall plot so it's it's effectively specter blofeld is trying to start world war three um isn't yeah. it and get effectively get usa and russia to destroy each other and become i guess the the world power would be specter i guess is their mm. their sort of belief um that you kind of you you sort of think it must be Spectre because what other organization would have enough money to you know develop a spaceship that swallows up the the world superpowers sort of space program um yeah. that that volcanic layer and it's kind of the scale of it I just I love that I love the Spectre massive evil evil empire part I think the when the baddies are of that scale in the Bond films, they're just the best Bond films for me. Yeah, and definitely. to have this volcanic evil layer is just so good. I, I think it's hard to beat that as a yeah. as an as an evil genius hideout. You can't beat a volcano, can you? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I just think it's one of those classic things where you kind of respect it. It's like, oh, you know, ignoring. The other Bond films day to day. If I was watching this for the first time, like how ingenious to think I'll put a base in a volcano. No one is going to think of that. So you kind of respect yeah. the ingenuity of thinking, yeah, I'll put it in here. No one's going to notice it. I mean, it takes you know two thirds of the film for those them to figure that out anyway. So I thought, yeah, it's quite a good, um, quite a good setup um, for the kind of the finale of the film. Um, so I think one of the bigger moments. Um, and reveals, I think, from the, for the in the franchise up to this point, is that we finally get to see Blofeld, um, which is played by Donald Pleasance, who's probably best known for later on sort of playing um, uh, the detective in Halloween, and um, he's also in The Great Escape as well. But um, so yeah, we're finally confronted with with Blofeld, and it's fair to say um, Doctor Evil is pretty much copied from this iteration yeah. of Blofeld of you know bald has a scar over his eye has a stroking cat and also has one of those kind of the same outfits that the Dr. Evil kind of copied as well um 
what do you, you think of Blofeld appearance in this up until this point? I mean, up until this point, we haven't seen his face, obviously, but we've heard sort of different voices being used. And, you know, four films in, we're kind of mentally sort of visualising what he may look like. Is it, was it quite anticlimactic? Is it what you thought he would look like? Or was, you, was it kind of a bit underwhelming? What, what did you think? I think I think the opposite. I think it's quite um, when you do finally see see his face, and he's got this massive scar, and he's kind of that that face. You you're kind of taken aback, and it's like, wow, you really are a <laughs> like a quite a menacing character. Yeah, um, and he reveals himself, and yeah, he's got this got this cat that he's kind of angrily stroking the whole time. Um, mm. He's got his piranha tanks and his evil layer and and all these thousands of henchmen and stuff i think um yeah that that reveal is is a massive moment in the grand scheme of the bond franchise isn't it as well the first time you ever meet blofeld i think yeah definitely i think he's just the classic kind of opposite of bond that bonds this more active good looking guy um that uses his wits whereas whereas blofeld is kind of the opposite he's kind of this deformed almost you know shorter um character who's who's using his brains rather than his brawn so i think that sort of opposite those sorts of opposites between those characters work quite well and i think they're they're running themes between sort of outside of franchises like batman and joker you kind of they're kind of the opposites in in that sense and i think it works quite well here as comparing bond to to blofeld so um yeah, I think um, I think it's a good reveal, and I think it's. I can imagine if you know, if this is seeing this in the cinema for the first time, it'd be like when he finally sort of sticks his head out behind the chair, and you see who it is. I think that would be finally sort of a big reveal that would have been great to see for sort of first time round. Um, so on the back of that is obviously Bond foils the plan, and what then begins is this massive um, sort of shootout. Uh, the fight that breaks out in the volcano base, um, which I don't know about you, I, I thought was still even now was fantastic because you've got kind of Blofeld's henchmen um, in one side, you've got Bond doing his thing, and then you've also got the ninjas infiltrating yeah. um, as well. So there seems to be just so much going on, um, and all this time is like Blofeld's basically trying to get away. Um, what did you think of the overall sort of climax of this film and the? the lead up to the to, to the ending it's a it's a really good final battle isn't it and it's yeah like you said it's a, it is a a big setting and it's a big a big fight scene it's got yeah I, I love that mixture of guns and kind of guns grenades and samurai swords at the same time it's really mm. it's really cool um i always i always do wonder why they don't hang, they never handcuff bond they always just let him wander around <laughs> with no <laughs> You know, it's James Bond. You know, you know this guy. Just put a set of handcuffs on him. But yeah, yeah there we go. And he asks, he asks for the cigarette, doesn't he? You think, yeah, here we go. But he, <laughs> I always wonder as well. He decides to just point it one, one single henchman and take him out. It's like you've got a big rocket. You could, you could destroy all their control panel or something. But he chooses yeah. one guy, and then um. Well, he just could get Blofeld. He just could have yeah. nipped it in the bud there. <laughs> yes, it would have made a boring film. But I thought the same thing. Like, yeah. Why have you just picked one solitary guy? <laughs> yeah. Why you just blow everything else up? Like, yeah. 
yeah, I, I did forget about that, um, the use of that cigarette as well, because he, he, it's, it's the point, though, they never tie him up, because they kind of go, Blofeld's like, all right, James Bond, do you want to watch watch me in action? Like, take a pew while I destroy, yeah. um, you know, try and crave world domination. Um, but he, he, he gets Bond to follow him around after that point, and they kind of bunker down and then realise that actually their impenetrable bunker is only impenetrable for, you know, 20 seconds or something. And then <laughs> Lofeld decides to, like, leg it and gets on his... You know, he, he drags Bond around with him. He could have just shot him there and then. But yeah. he decides to get in his little train, look back at Bond, who's then stood there, not not tied down anything, and then decide to put a gun on him and try and shoot him. But obviously then, it's, I think it's a ninja star, isn't it? That, yeah, it is. That takes his gun away from him. And then, yeah. And he just sods off on the train. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I love that. It's so easy for him to get away. <laughs> I know, exactly. I just love that as well. Like you said, it's like, do you want you Bond comes along the whole journey? Could have shot him at any point. Decides to just wait until that open opportunity where everyone can see what's going on, and then manages to get away with a, a ninja star in his hand, and 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 just runs and hides away. And Bond gets away again for another day, um, which is is again it's classic Bond. Um, so obviously in this film, the overall main villain Blofeld gets away, but we do have kind of another. I wouldn't say a boss fight, but it's kind of a henchman fight where prior to this, we have, actually, we, we kind of skipped over this, but the um, the redhead Bond girl um, basically lets Blofeld down in one way or another. And in the volcanic lair, um, there's this, just as you would in a Bond film, in his sort of um, Blofeld sort of, I don't know what you'd call it, sort of, it's like, a, it's like a, just a set piece, isn't there? Yeah. And he's just got this, um, bridge that's just an open bridge with no railings whatsoever and as she's walking off he has a button that drops the bridge and as you do instead of in the water it's just a bunch of piranhas um, which is uh, it's actually yeah. quite a terrifying scene as well I, I think for a kids for kids watching that to kind of just cut to um, a woman just getting eaten alive by fish and then just turn cuts to her her clothes just bobbing on top of the water yeah, it is quite a. It's actually yeah. I, I've written the word harrowing as well because she, she um yeah she just looks up at Asato and just like screams at mm. him like ah, <laughs> and it's yeah. quite um yeah it's quite a brutal scene. She doesn't yeah she doesn't really get dragged under straight away either, does she? You can just tell she's being um eaten from the Nipped. from the feet up. <laughs> it's pretty, yeah, pretty brutal. Exactly. Yeah, I thought it was um, quite a brutal scene. There's there is one scene where they. There's some Japanese businessmen and whatever in there talking, talking with him and talking about paying a hundred million dollars or whatever in mm. gold. I don't really, I don't get where they come from. What government are they from that's funding? It doesn't really go into it. It just sort of alludes to. Yeah, I wondered if they were part of or linked in with Asato and his organisation and kind of, you know maybe set up, help set up Blofeld's base in Japan. They've been involved somehow. I can't think on top of my head why that, that kicks in, but he kind of goes against his plan, doesn't he? Blofeld has an agreement with them and then just says, no, it's not that. I'm going into yeah. myself. Yeah, it's classic. Um, yeah. <laughs> classic, classic Blofeld. Classic, yeah. <laughs> um, so then it kind of uh, leads up to the, the classic Bond um, explosion 
So the whole uh, Blofeld gets away, Bond manages to get out in time, and there's this massive explosion where the volcano just explodes, and everyone gets out in time, and the new Bond girl, Bond's new wife, manages to get away. Um, and again, they end up in a dinghy. And I made a point, yeah. it's like, this is the third time now yeah. that Bond ends up in a dinghy at the end. <laughs> I was like, come on, there's got to be something else. Um, but I did like how it ends in this one where the, <laughs> they're looking for Bond and this submarine just emerges and the dinghy's yeah. on top of it. I thought that was quite a, a cool sort of um, ending to the film. But um, what did you think? Did you think the same about we've got a bloody dinghy uh, ending? Uh, yeah, I, I forgot. I think all the dinghy scenes sort of merged into one for me. I didn't realise how how repetitive it was. But yeah, I do I do like that one. And it's they're clearly in the sea as well, not in some swimming yeah. pool in Slough or something. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I think he says something like, oh, they'll never find us out here. And then this massive submarine just lifts them out of the water. And he's like, ah. Oh. <laughs> yeah, perhaps they will. Yeah. yeah, I thought I thought it was quite a good, at least quite a, more of a cinematic ending than than some of the other ones. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, so we've pretty much gone through the whole film. Is there any anything that you wanted to add before we sort of go on to the ratings and score? Um, no, I think yeah, I'll, I'll go into my my rating and my overall summary. I guess. Okay, so let's go. Let's score it first, and then we'll we'll sort of. Um, look at the rankings compared to the other four films so out of 10 what would you give you only live twice i've given it nine out of ten. Oh, nice yeah quite high then nice yeah yeah i am um, it's for me i think probably at least one point or yeah probably a point at least is is that um nostalgic nostalgic yeah. value just i just remember it so well and just have yeah such fond memories in it and watching it back, it really it didn't disappoint. Mm. For coming coming after Thunderball is so much better. Um, it's so much more interesting, it's more fun. Bond's character is much more likable again. He's back to that cheeky, cheeky kind of um world-saving um chap that you you actually want to be him again, rather than sort of um sort of scrunching your face up at him mm, <laughs> too much like, like the Bond in Thunderball. Um, I think the plot's brilliant. Spectre trying to create World War Three. It's um that that whole plot was actually stolen in um Some of All Fears, Tom Clancy. Oh uh, okay. Yeah. That that whole getting USA and Russia to fight each other and destroy each other, that is that's been stolen by Tom Clancy. Um Classy. I think it's yeah, Blofeld is like the pinnacle of Bond baddie in this film. I think the yeah, it's um, it's got piranhas in it. I think the Bond <laughs> girls are good. Bond girls are cool. Um, and I love the theme tune as well. Yeah, I think it's it's up there. It's it's reminded me it is one of my one of my favourite Bonds. I think nice. Okay, so I've scored it an eight. Yeah, um, but I I still. I agree pretty much with everything you've said. Um, great theme tune. Bond is 100% more likable in this compared to Thunderball. I think that is my least favourite uh, of Connery's Bond versions, I think, in Thunderball. But in here, he kind of redeems it again. There's some great fight scenes, a great fight with the henchmen. Um, and obviously there's a, a later fight with the henchmen again, um, which ends in 
the henchmen going in the piranhas as well, which is a good um, good ending, which gives the line Bon Appetit at the end, which is, again, <laughs> a, cheeky, a cheeky line, a great line by Bond. Um, yeah, one of the best theme tunes, great Bond girls, great um, gadgets as well in Little Nelly and the, the helicopter. Um, and I just, like, like we said at the start, the setting of, of Bond in Japan, it was quite unique and stood out and it was kind of a juxtaposition to anything he's done up till that point um kind of almost um out of his comfort zone to a degree which i think works quite well and obviously classic james bond seems to pick up everything you know straight away and kind of fits in with this whole japanese culture even though i have knocked it down for the mark of trying to convince me that <laughs> that james bond now looks japanese after the worst <laughs> makeup uh, session I've ever yeah. seen, so I've knocked a point off. Point off for that. So, okay, so nine for you and an eight for me. What, what does that change in the rankings for you? So we've got obviously this is the fifth one so far. So what does it currently stack up as? That comes in now second for me. Oh, nice. Yeah, and that's after Goldfinger, isn't it? Yeah. Nice. So yeah, for me, that's it. Goes Goldfinger, Doctor No, and then you only live twice. Um, definitely up there in, more towards the better side of uh, Connery's films um, and definitely one definitely an easy watch I think um, nothing yeah. too um, controversial perhaps than compared to Thunderball um, and definitely much more fun fun watch and shorter yeah. as well which was good yeah definitely it's, it is one of those it's a great Sunday afternoon Bond film I think it, yeah. it kind of it summarises that yeah, easy watching, great Bond film. Definitely. Yeah, family fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even the dodgy haircut. Um, yeah. Cool. Good chat on, on that one. Uh, obviously, in the next episode is when we talk about On Her Majesty's Secret Service, which is then also a new Bond in yeah. George Lazenby. So we'll cover that and how that came about in that next episode so um thanks again for your time today and we'll catch up on the next one yeah cool see you next time <laughs>